Yeah, I mean, I mean, if it can happen to tractors, it can happen to video exactly. games, right? <laughs> That's a great. Can we get that as like a campaign slogan? Welcome to the Glasshouse Game Show, recorded once again, not all in Brick Lane, London. Uh, we're all remote today. I'm Samantha, and today I'm joined by uh, Astrid. Hello! And Alex CG. Ahoy, ahoy. Um, and today we're going to be talking about content, subscriptions, and whether that stuff devalues art, and specifically games. And uh, the kicking point for this um, was recently in an essay for Harper's um, famed director, Martin Scorsese. You might have seen some of some of their stuff. Um, wrote, um, in their essay, they wrote that the art of cinema has been systematically devalued, sidelined, demeaned, and reduced to its lowest common denom denominator, content. Content used to be a business term, but is now applied to everything. It's sort of the go-to, you know, you create content. We do, I, like, I've lulled mm. into this thing of, like, defining everything on content. And, like, I know, like, a, there, there was an initial reaction from some people about, like, oh, he's just, this is just old man yells at cloud, like, doesn't <laughs> like the, the thing. But I do feel that there's something in this, because I do think that when you start talking about things as content, it is as this idea of, like, you've, you're creating a product, you know, and, and we, and I think... We're, we're going to spend a bit of time talking about TV and stuff, but I think this is really pertinent to games because I think games have always had a tendency to describe themselves as as a product first mm -hmm. and are yeah. some second or Distant third, third yeah. Line. Yeah. You know, sometimes sometimes old man yell at cloud because cloud bad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, sometimes the cloud is bad. To... Yeah, exactly. Sometimes the cloud Sometimes the cloud is problematic yeah. uh and it needs to be yelled at by the old man. It's funny because there was the previous thing with Martin Scorsese. And I mean, obviously, you know, Scorsese is this like legendary director and and it is kind of interesting seeing the different people who may or may not have seen his films being like, "Who's this guy just yelling at people?" But he he had they they had the um previous thing about marvel right so there was the whole marvel controversy where basically martin yeah. scorsese was like marvel movies aren't movies and you know there, there is a there's a, sh a shred of that elitism and that patronizing tone in there which I, I totally get at the same time as somebody who really dislikes those kinds of franchises i was just like you go get him martin scorsese <laughs> like you so, so specifically um martin scorsese i think what he what he says i'll get the exact quote here. yeah let's um, not i think he he described them as um roller coaster he said they weren't movies they were like roller coaster <laughs> rides he described them as you know and uh, and i don't i like i say i think you're right there's there's an air of elitism mm -hmm. to like yeah if you like take that. away if you take away the layer of pretension on top of that he makes a very yeah. good point it's just the pretension sort of warps it slightly. But yeah, they're 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 um delivered. You know, they're marketed and and they're loved, beloved on their spectacle. You know, when people talk about Endgame, they don't. I don't hear people talking about the emotional catharsis or whatever that you you know you often get with stories. What I often hear about is just like, oh, it was really cool when Cap picked up the hammer, or <laughs> it was really cool when all my favorite characters were on screen yeah. at the same time. And it's oh, the cool gold event. boss moment. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. oh yeah. god, oh god, that what that is the worst <laughs> bit. That entire movie. I remember being in the cinema, just like my ribs snapping in half as I cringed <laughs> into oblivion. Just, I couldn't. The audacity of it—it it just genuinely, like, my eyes just evaporated from my skull as my blood boiled. Like, just 
just the audacity of like, yeah, it's... we'll have this little look at all our female characters who have been sidelined in every one of their appearances. <laughs> like, look how cool we are. Every single, I think a vast majority of the Marvel movies are like that diagram of um of the guy looking at uh looking at the looking at media and going, oh, cool robot. But instead of everything flying over the person's head, that's it, There's, that's the whole experience. They're just being <laughs> shot directly in the chest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th th and the point I take from that as well, that like you said about content, is that th the issue is that, I mean, and it happens in most you know industries when they become like super formalized and there's these like production lines like it's kind of paint by numbers it's like film paint by numbers You're like you just need like here's our comic relief character here's our franchises smack them together make it like halfway decent writing and you have a movie but i think yeah. i mean yeah i don't um i don't want to like i don't want to take like if you enjoy marvel movies and i've enjoyed marvel movies i don't want to be like if you enjoy this, you're a sap. Like, I don't think that... I There, there are people, there yeah. are creative people that make these movies. There's mm -hmm. people that care about this stuff. I don't think that it's, it's completely soulless. But what I do think, you what you've mentioned, yeah, that paint by numbers. Yeah. People talked about, like, when I was in uni and stuff, like, a, you know, a decade ago. Oh, God. um, Like, a decade ago. And, you know, we would talk about, like, film studios always talked about, you know, they wanted the formula. Yeah. You know, the how do you make the perfect blockbuster? And it was a thing that didn't exist, right, for, like, decades like film studios didn't know it like they would gamble on absolute bullshit but marvel has cracked it yeah. like marvel has a formula like those movies all have the same story structure they all play on a lot of the same things if you even look at the way the dialogue is often written there's the writing style the kind of humor that pervades it all mm. the color grading the music everything is filed down to a sort of mush that is shared between them all like and they have they've, they've figured out that formula because every one of those movies makes bank yeah. like big money like i don't think marvel's had a bomb yet all you need to 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 adhere to the formula is robert downey yeah. jr in a dr pepper product placement yeah. well and don't forget you know like dod and like military investments in these films and stuff like that you know that's mm. that's part of where the yeah. it becomes part of like capital flows and capitalism writ large rather than just this is some independent art object that's just kind of floating in in the atmosphere that we can judge it's part of a larger thing yeah it's like a conduit for all exactly. that stuff like as a vehicle that all that stuff you know rides on like yeah they the um and for those who don't know the captain marvel movie specifically where they um they had captain marvel or rather brie larson as captain marvel um advertising for the american air force captain america um, or captain is it is uh, captain, captain marvel. marvel okay see i just don't even um, know the franchise <laughs> okay the idea generally with art is that someone wants to express something. Someone has an idea and they want to get it out there and it's an expression of how they're feeling and experience, whatever. And I think what's sort of weird is, because I was reading um, a few weeks ago about the visual effects process for these movies. And the, 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 battle, the, the final battle of Endgame was literally planned like like something like four or five years ago before the movie was done like before they'd even started like proper production like that battle scene was all started to plan out and there was a thing released a little while ago because um the one of the directors i can't remember one of the directors they approached to do black widow she turned it down because they told because when she she they told her about because she was like i have never really shot action and they were like don't worry about it we have a visual effects guy who takes care of all that and she was like, oh, I'm not, no. And um... Yeah, there have been a few directors that have come forward to talk about that being the reason why they've turned down directing Marvel films is because 
the action scenes are dealt by a completely different person and you have no so it's even compartmentalized input. within the directing mm. structure that's interesting so there's a, there's a survivor i can't remember again um is it jake morrison there's um there's basically there's their go-to guy who basically is their visual effects supervisor who's basically oversees all these sequences and does them way in advance of their appearance in whatever respective movie um so there is and you've seen it before that like there's been directors um who have walked away from marvel because and, and disney is at large as well like because you've seen it with the um is it the miller brothers who did the lego movie who did they walked off like um sure. han solo Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. If I just made I'm, that I'm up. learning about controversies no, left ring, and right that, here. That rings a bell. That rings a bell, I'm pretty Hold sure. Hold on, that I'll is... get their actual name. It's not the Miller and they brothers. And they had that one sort of sort of kooky... Oh, it's Chris, Chris Miller and Phil Lord. That's them. Yeah. Uh, so one of them was Miller, so I wasn't totally wrong. Mm. Um, but yeah, they were, they, they were brought into the Lego movie, which I don't know if you've seen the Lego movie, but Lego movie Fucking is flaps. one of those things... You would you would you would go into it thinking, oh God, a Lego movie, and yet somehow they've managed to use it as a vehicle for something really fun. Cool. But so that ray tracing, innit? All that ray tracing. But the interesting thing was when they went, they were then brought on to do the Han Solo movie for Star Wars, and they left. Like, I, and it, and there's a lot of debate about how much of their input remains in the final thing. Mm. Um, but you see this with Marvel as well. A lot of directors like end up falling out or walking away. Um, and I find it. I mean, it's interesting because it belies this thing where, it, what, why does this, because the question you have to ask is, why does this exist then? If it's not about a creative coming in and wanting to tell a story, then why does this stuff exist? And the answer is because, yeah, Mar like, you, you look at the way Marvel plans out these movies, and they've, they plan these movies out before they've got a director or whatever. Yeah. There's not someone at the back of this. There's not Sam Raimi at the back of this going, oh, I, I love Spider-Man and I love this. You know, there's just, Marvel's like, we need this done let's hire someone to do this yeah. and that's not to say i guess that any artistry wouldn't come through but it's certainly it's like a, it is this content first idea of like there's the product and then there's who you need to get it made yeah. um and they have like say what you want about in. say what you want about like the the dc universe films um it does seem like they we take will say the approach of yeah no like by no means are any of them good uh but um they do like over over certainly over disney people have pointed out that it seems like they do try to hire directors with like their own creative yeah. visions to work on each of the films uh and you can see that in the films that they are not this sort of homogenous product right. um they're still for, for, for better they're or not, worse but for like, better they, and they... for worse yeah but they, um, um, really they definitely have their director's DNA on it. Mm. The, um, and I mean, there's definitely studio meddling in those movies. Like Suicide Squad, I remember famously was like had a lot of like trouble after production where the they they wanted it to be like more like their trailers or something. So yeah. they like re recut the whole movie oh, and wow. stuff. So <laughs> so it's not like um, it's not like they're immune to that stuff. That that studio mandate stuff still exists, but. Yeah, at least there. At least there's a little bit of an idea of, hey, you're still, you know, you're looking to get unique voices here, and and it's sort of weird. Like Marvel hires all these theoretically unique voices, and then you watch how much their stuff is actually squashed. Yeah. Like, 
um like you just done a lot of basic filmmaking stuff if you look at like you know the way the fact that like um this has been talked to death but like if you're if you go and look google it and have a look at it like um patrick willems did a really good video about the marvel universe and um he talked about the color grading being a thing with him with the filmmaking like um all these movies just get the same treatment and it's all this really flat image and stuff and I saw don't... a I sorry. saw a really good sorry it's a similar similarly related thing I saw a really good video about the 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 orchestration of mm. the Marvel films and how <laughs> like you think of all these really big powerful like theme songs for the superheroes in the Marvel universe and all of the music in the Marvel universe films like I cannot. Like the only one I can remember is like the weird Avengers one where it's like and it's the most generic shite ever and I cannot like Well that's and that's the only one that people remember. It's that and all of the Kendrick Lamar songs in Black Panther and that's it. Like But like the Avengers theme I love as well because it's the only one that people seem to know. So in the Avengers movie, every time there's a moment, an emotional moment, they drop it. Regardless it doesn't matter if it makes sense. Like the whole point of like for instance Infinity Wars, the Avengers aren't together. But they keep dropping the goddamn Avengers theme because it's the only bit of music they got. But, but the point I do... Um, that's a, it's a Tony Joe well, video. because every character has a theme. Every character has a theme. There are specific themes for, for specific sort of emotional moments. But it's all so homogenous that you cannot differentiate them. Oh. What, yeah. what I do take Wild. as well from this approach to content is sort of like... If you think about what you would hope to be... I think we've spoken about this before. Like the best that art has to offer is, is also... Um, you know, it's not, it's not just shock value, but it's it's coming into an experience and having something unexpected or, you know, walking away from an experience different than when you walked in. And, and part of the power of yeah. an art, artistic experience is that it can surprise you, it can touch you, it can make you feel things that you weren't prepared to feel. And, you know, there's, there's debates within that. But the problem with this approach to movie making, to game making, as we'll get into, I think, is that it's it's almost framed the way like a drug is or the way food is, because it's structured as like, you know, that's not the meal. I didn't order this. Like I ordered lobster with this and this and you served me steak yeah. instead. And and when you see the reaction of fans to movies that don't meet expectations within these things, it, it's very it's very strange because there's a kind of entitlement that, I mean, I'm fully on board with. It's not that I think the studio should control the medium and, and the IPs. I think the fans should. But the fans, it's like a temper tantrum that we've talked about before with like Final Fantasy VII Remake even. You know, when that game came out, I was like reading the reviews and stuff and I was like, man, this is like everyone here, like the reviewers are in the thrall of the fans and the fans are in the thrall of the reviewers. Like there's no room for actual independent thought in this conversation because everyone is just talking about what does this need to be? And if it's anything different than what they expected, they feel like they've been cheated, you know? So it's like you, it's like you bought a dime yeah. bag and somebody gave you time or something instead of weed. You're like, what is this? I bought the weed and I'm not getting highs. You need to give me what I expect. And that's just a completely different <laughs> approach to art and to, yeah, yeah artistic experience. Then it's, it hasn't always been pure or something. I mean, there's always been capitalism and this kind of stuff going on, but it's just, it's oh, definitely sure. taken a new extreme in the modern era, I think. Um, so to frame this, I think this this pivot and the way this model, because of um, probably the most relevant thing that we want to talk about is the thing that's developed probably more recently than the Marvel Cinematic Universe itself, but you have seen Disney pivot to this, is a subscription model, mm -hmm. um, which is like Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, etc. And um, Netflix obviously was the start of it. 
Um, and I think I want to. I think I want to bring this up because I think there's a lot of problems to get into. But I think one thing that does interest me um, is that. Um, by contrast to the way that, say, Disney have done it with their pivot, is they have brought basically the existing IPs they have to subscribe, you know, the subscription service, and it's like, hey, this thing you like, here it is, more. Um, one thing that I found interesting with Netflix was that, by and large, a lot of the stuff that they've made their name about is all this sort of weird original stuff. Um, Netflix pumps out loads of rubbish, that's a given. But they also pump out stuff like Russian Doll or, yeah. you know, um, like they were the ones that distributed Annihilation over here. Um, you know, they did Dark, you know, and that, that's the thing as well. Like they brought over like because you just subscribe to this one model and they're like, well, there's no reason to differentiate between our audiences. All their international content is, is smart. You know, they recently uh, Space Sweepers, a South Korean film recently. That was just marketed to everyone on Netflix. It wasn't. You know, South Korean movie, but they were just like, yeah, it's just for everyone. Although and there are the differences depending on show. your country. Like, you, you will have access to different things depending on what part of the world you're in. Oh, yeah, they're, they're know, region rights they yeah. play. But that's 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 not that's not to do with the original content, yeah, yeah. which they just, like, they just front up themselves. And yeah. I think what was interesting about Netflix for me, and still sort of is, is the 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 allure of the original like having a subscription having this sure thing where they can go right well we have this amount of subscribers and the thing that matters to us is that we have stuff to show them and but what they didn't do with that for at least to a important degree wasn't just go well we need to give them the thing that they want what they what Netflix did was like well we just need we just need stuff like it doesn't it doesn't matter what it is we just need stuff so Netflix, and to a degree, still does like in, invest in a lot of r yeah disparate things. Like yeah, like Dark was this weird German sci-fi TV show, and then they Love you know they did like. But like, do you, know, you think? I mean, with that kind of thing, because we we also had an episode about this as well. But um, there's a few things with Netflix. One of them is I, I wonder if it's like the board game shop thing that we discussed, where the secret of board game brick and mortar shops is that they all run on magic you know, magic cards and selling magic <laughs> cards. And then the board games are kind of like the secondary thing, even though that's what you think is the main thing. Like, I wonder, you know, Netflix has like friends. You know, Netflix has, I guess now it has what, The Office. And it has like some yeah. bread and butter things that, that are like, if it didn't have they, that, I wonder if it would be able to survive or have the same appeal I mean, as... It's just the really interesting thing about their approach to original content as well is that Netflix... Um, really do operate on a business model of let's chuck all of this spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks yeah. and if it doesn't stick they just drop it yeah well and they have the if famous it does, they keep it going yeah. like like we're, we're seeing what season four of stranger things now yeah. um because it blew the hell up yeah but there are so many there's so much like amazing original content on netflix that got two seasons and then just well, and also out. critically, because I, if I remember correctly, we'd have to find the, the sources, but the, the the contract changes after three seasons. And so there's like a strategic yeah. move where mm. as long as they can get something out of it for under three seasons, they get the they get an interesting independent thing, but they don't have to. Yeah, be, I think it's a union. Yeah, thing exactly. Well, they it? don't have to be locked. Yeah, in they don't have to make the commitment long. Yeah, term. exactly. And um, and yeah, like there's definitely drawbacks but i did find i just found that like that it was interesting that they're yeah i mean you're definitely right like there's probably bread and butter stuff that's the appeal for majority and they and like i say they put out shit like they, they put out absolute like drag but like mm -hmm. they do but as a consequence they do this interesting stuff as well and i i guess what i like i don't think it's perfect a model by any means but i guess what i sort of admire about it versus like the disney model is that at least on the off the back of their bread and butter stuff, they also do original stuff. Sure. The thing that sort of is weird to me about Disney is they front they make all 
absolute eye-watering amounts of money off the back of these franchises, but they, they don't go and flow that back into original filmmaking. It's just back into their own IP and like franchises. Just remakes after remakes yeah. after remakes. Yeah. Uh, and um because so because everyone appreciate... will want to watch the remakes and also uh, it's uh, uh to to renew the ip yeah, yeah, exactly. isn't it well you keep but, it yeah. going forever um but at least i at least appreciate that like netflix for for all that they do have problems about yeah they like they are definitely part of this thing where it's, it's you're on the content treadmill and you just if anything ain't if it ain't doing the numbs it's gone and um but um i mean i guess that's true of everywhere that the stuff because it's capitalism but <laughs> Yeah. I guess like, like I do they, appreciate you, that you lose, there is you, a trade-off the, at least. Yeah, you, the show drops after two seasons, but at least you got those two seasons of this really interesting thing, and people got to yeah. make something they were passionate well, here, about. Well, here's it's my question, like, well, though. At least it the, got it exist, you know? As the, as the <laughs> sort of naysayer or devil's advocate here, my question no, with, the, with the Netflix stuff, and this is I expressed this kind of on our episode, is like, I wonder if this is almost this almost only works because we're in a specific golden age of what Netflix and streaming platforms are right now. Because the slippery yeah. slope to me is like this is the problem is that you know Microsoft does this as well. Microsoft can come in; it's this huge company that is valued at all with all this money, and they can they can legitimately fund independent games, and they can and and they will exist, and they will be successful sometimes, and that is a good thing. But the idea that it, it, this is what I like the problem with monopolies is that they. I said this, I can't remember what episode I said it on anymore. But what I'm, the comparison I made it to previously was like, it's like the Whole Foods thing. You know, a Whole Foods opens up in a neighborhood and they say, no, 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 we're not going to push out local business. In fact, we're actually going to source an ind you know, independent uh, farmers and we're going to do all this stuff and we're going to support local businesses. But that kind of only works in the initial period of its opening. And after a while, it's like a Walmart. You know, a Whole Foods eventually establishes a monopoly mm -hmm. in an area and then it's the only, becomes like the only major employer for this kind of thing. And then it pushes out local businesses and, and so on. So with Netflix, I always wonder, I'm like, okay, so right now it is, it behooves them to kind of do this thing where they're funding independent content and, and as much as they need to alongside of mm -hmm. what I, I'm going to guess, I don't know, but I'm going to guess is their bread and butter, like Friends, The Office, these things that they can get. But it's almost like the, the more that this platform rises, the less and less incentive will there be for them to do that kind of thing in my in my opinion you know the more the oh, more yeah, it's completely they, unsustainable. the more content will become because like the, the, even though there's a lot of streaming platforms now with disney plus and fucking cbs whatever the hell and netflix and all these different ones <laughs> there's still a tendency towards like if you imagine like with, with the disney example the more that a company is controlling like most of the content whether they create it or not or even if it's just streaming it there's there once you have people locked in there's less and less incentive to to spend money on risky things when you know people are locked in maybe like you said you can release some stuff now and then but as long as you have them locked in and you can throw them some the stuff that people really are looking for you know like you go on an xbox whatever game pass you get like all the halos you get you know people aren't signing up for game pass because you get to play like fez or something <laughs> you know so i'm just yeah. i just wondered to myself if we're going to look back at this in like 10 or 15 years and be like, man, remember when Netflix used to have all this like interesting independent stuff and now it's just like, paint, yeah. it, it is also paint by numbers. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, think what we've uncovered here is uh, the the inherent problem with the free market, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's what this all comes down to. 
Um, but that's just me. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I can't speak. I can't speak to like. I don't. I mean, you know, I don't know what it's going to be like. Sure, in sure. Years. Yeah. I don't know how sustainable this. I don't know if Netflix needs is going to have to pivot or what. But why? Why do? What does surprise me though is Netflix does at least seem. They seem the um similar. I guess to sort of Sony in the way like Sony pursued certain like yeah. artistic project projects and um, like Team Eco's stuff and that. I find like Netflix. Um, for instance, like they fronted up a bunch of stuff, um, to for for awards season and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like they, you know, they did. They got some like top tier like directors, and they were like, "Hey, what do you want to do?" And um, and they and just saw also some like obscure stuff and like, and and they cared about it. And they and they've been trying to challenge this idea that if they because the the thing that's always fucked them is because they don't have a theatrical release for a right. lot of their stuff. They can't. They're not. They're not eligible for awards. And you know, Steven Spielberg was very vocal about this. It's like, if you're not in a theater, you, you're not cinema, etc. <laughs> and um, so they, but they've been consistently trying to challenge us. I mean, they they have just released stuff in, for short runs yeah. in the, theaters so they can qualify. But I guess like what surprises me is that they they care about that stuff. Like they would, you know, with the, they're making sure. their money and they got people, you know. But you know, and they, but they want that prestige. So I guess, I guess somewhere in the bills of Netflix. Well, well, I mean, is it free? It's not free advertising. Well, it's it's because you got you got to pay for those. Like, yeah, it's incredibly effective yeah. advertising at the very least. Uh, I think that's that's well, probably yeah. that's a significant part of it. I here's what i'll say is if something wins a golden globe everyone goes oh that one but a I, I guess I, I guess what I, now. I guess what i would say is i know like exponential growth is a driving force of a lot yeah. of these markets but like i guess what i would say at least within that is that like they've you know with the idea that they've got a locked-in audience the fact that they still pursue that stuff yeah makes me at least think well somewhere somewhere in yeah. Netflix, someone's interested in like some of that stuff whether that lasts and whether you know that's going to always be the case i don't know I, but i think you're right i think it's almost like and i'm just going to keep referencing other episodes like our star wars episode when alex p talked about the studio system that george lucas actually developed benefited from before the advent of the modern studio system where like in the interstices of all this weird you know capital flows there's room for authenticity like there's clearly people at netflix who do care about m art and movies and, and making good content i just wonder like when we look at something like epic games you know, I don't think we're under any illusion that their their better percentage take that they offer for developers compared to Steam yeah. is because Epic Games really wants better content out there. They ha they are just trying to figure out how do we muscle into this market. And right now, it might be the yeah. better take. But again, give it a give it ten or fifteen years. Is it just going to be? Are the other ones going to adjust? Are they going to go less? Like that's what I, that's what I'm thinking on that like Netflix right now is poised so it's true you can you can see interviews with directors and actors who often say man it's like it's so refreshing to work for Netflix because it's so different than the experience of like the traditional system but that's kind of because it's it's like a maverick still and it's breaking in and it's changing standards but I, I'm just wondering if that's more about the time rather than mm. what is inherently this thing because as I as far as I can see it and I think that's where you might be going Sam the problem with other problem with streaming platforms is the way that content is managed means that you as a user inherently do not own or, you know, you cannot have the content yourself. You can only borrow it from the people who are presenting it to you. So that's another thing with, with movies. That's even one thing, but when we get into games, you know, this is like the, it's like Microsoft's eBooks, you know, like they had this eBook platform and they were like, by the way, we're deleting it. And people's like, people were losing their eBooks that they bought. They were like, wait, that's not mine anymore. Like I thought I bought this product. I don't think we're at that drastic point yet with games, but there's definitely a, there's another kind of slippery slope, which, which I think streaming kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, represents. I mean, if it can happen to tractors, it can happen to exactly. video games, right? <laughs>
<laughs> that's a great can we get that as like a campaign slogan you know like the, 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 those like anti-piracy <laughs> things like trucks. you wouldn't steal a car yeah. you know those fbi <laughs> things you wouldn't steal a car you wouldn't download yeah. this just make it if it can happen you to wouldn't a tractor. repair a tractor yeah. like <laughs> you wouldn't repair a tractor <laughs> Where this pertains to games, and it's becoming increasingly relevant because games are dabbling in this idea of a subscription model. You've got um, Xbox Game Pass is obviously the most notable one, um, and we've talked about it before on the show. Um, you've also got PlayStation Now, EA Play, Ubisoft Plus. Um, these other services do exist, um, and yeah, they are they are a real like pivot to try and have the subscription model on games. And then and then the thing that you brought up, Siege, is very relevant. The reason that they probably want this. Um, is besides just the, the fact that it's a consistent steady flow you know rather than making maybe 40 quid from one person once a year it's like well you pay 10 pound a month every month you mm -hmm. know like there's clearly a revenue there but also you don't own the products and you can't secondhand trade it you you own the way to get it through them so they clearly they, they have an absolute drive to get this um but i guess the the question just now with xbox game pass being new and how it pertains to games is, is it sustainable is it worthwhile etc and uh, Eurogamer recently um, did an article um, w um, asking if, if um, is it too good to be true? Um, it was written by uh, Chris Tapso, uh, uh, Eurogamer. Um, and there's a, there was a pertinent quote here um, about um, talking about it. Um, um, the question then is less of Game Pass's profitability full stop, but the money it can make money compared to the money it already makes now. Mm. And again, that comes back to scale. Microsoft's total gaming revenues were up 2% or $198 million to around $9.6 billion for the 2020 financial year. Yeah. And Ahmed estimates that to be profitable to the same extent that their current game strategy is, Microsoft would probably want to get over 50 million subscribers out of this. That's a whopping number of people, but again, considering Plus, PlayStation Plus is maintaining 45 million at the current time, while technically offering a lot less in return, it's doable, as Ahmed puts it, assuming that they sell enough consoles. And so I guess like what this is driving at is the idea that the, the it's the bigger picture stuff. It's not just about the games. Game the drive behind Games Pass for Microsoft is to try and get people to buy the console, yeah. um, especially after the previous generation where they were struggling against the PS4 to like get people to buy. Like they just they just didn't have the exclusives. They didn't have it. But Games Pass seems to be the thing that this is their new gamble for the market share. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a legitimately good deal, but this is the problem. Like, when you look at it, you're like, man, That's this how they is... get you. No, but 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 if you think about it, like, I again, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if you look at amount of digital sales across generations, you know, like, when, it, when digital sales were first coming around, there were lots of people being like, oh, that's fine, but it's never going to take over too much. Now digital sales accounts for a huge amount of m yeah. many game companies' pro profitability. And people are talking at this point of, like, we're, are we going to get to a generation, which would seem very plausible for what Microsoft's trying to do, where... You just buy a device that is like some USB Chromecast type thing and it has Game Pass on it or you have a subscription to Game Pass. Like you might not even need, you know, right now we're still very tethered to this like console thing. But if Game Pass is just this thing that you can kind of use on like a multiplicity of platforms, then they can kind of get you no matter what you use, you know, and you're still <laughs> in the same kind of boat where, okay, yes, it's convenient. 
like I, I always reference the Scratchware manifesto. If you go back to was it early 2000s, these were indie developers saying, we want to do digital content because at that time they were hemmed in by the way studios had released content in, in a physical storefront. So they thought this will be a form of freedom. But, you know, there's other, there's different ways of doing it, you know, like there's a form of digital sales, which, you know, it would be great if we all own the means of production. I hate to be old school about this, but like, then it would be different, right? Because if you release something on a digital platform, you could guarantee, okay, that's going to be protected for like public use and the patrimony. You can't use abusive copyrights like this will, ha you know, we'll, we'll be able to pass this on to the next generation and people will still have access to these things. But these are just like little fiefdoms, right? So like when they disappear, we don't know what's going to happen to the content unless people do it illegally, you know, which is where piracy comes in. But I mean, um, <laughs> as, a, as a just a small aside, can I just ask, when was the last time either of you bought a physical copy of a game? Oof, I actually, I'll, I'll go second. What do you, what do you say, Astrid? Uh, within the last three months, uh, and it was from, uh, it was from a secondhand shop. Yeah. Um, oh. I, I, um, historically, uh, the the way I've had access to games is is purchasing them secondhand and before that renting them from Blockbuster. Oh boy! Oh, oh. taking us back. Oh. Yeah. Um, um. So how? So before? So before this game three months ago? How long before that was your last purchase? Roughly, do you think? God, I I I think I think I do end up buying old pre-owned <laughs> okay. games about every three months, and I still do yeah. that because yeah, cool. it's it because like I missed out on. On, on so many games when they were big back in the day and now yeah. they're like a fiver yeah. in cex i can yeah. like get into them because they're because they're like and i i it it's get it, it makes me sad because um people in a few years time of subscription models become the dominant force yeah. um you're gonna see less and less opportunity to pick up pre-owned games um and and for a lot of people that means just not playing games you know yeah i was gonna say for me i um i think we're astrid and i might be exceptions rather than the rule because i actually do buy physical games but the reason i do it is not because i need to do it so for the switch for example it's mostly it's mostly for the switch when i bought a switch i thought to myself when i when i pass this on to whoever i give it to or sell it to you know or if, it, if it's a relative or if it's like a nephew or something or whoever I want to be able to hand them a stack of games. And so oh. that is literally the reason I'm doing it because in in many ways it is more convenient to just buy the digital copies of the game. But because I'm on this whole like ah oh, games preservation thing, I yeah. whenever there's if it's a simple indie title, I'll just buy it on the eShop. But if it's any kind of major title for the system, I will buy it. So like I haven't gotten Origami King for the Switch yet, but when I do it, like Paper Mario, I'm going to get the physical copy because I want to have that as part, so it's it's not even because i want it in my collection it's like for the future person i pass it on to <laughs> i want them on i always say on the mad max like deserted island that they live on in theory i want them to still be able to play <laughs> paper mario origami game <laughs> but yeah otherwise i, I wouldn't think, um, i wouldn't buy physical games i just asked because i was just thinking about myself and i think like for me like i am terrible and i i genuinely don't know mm. i think it has been probably about two years since yeah. i last bought a physical copy of something um and when i do it's usually yeah i think at least similar to you see it's usually when it's something big and yeah. i'm like you know and definitely i'm motivated by the idea that like 
game downloads are getting absurd yeah. and i don't want to be sitting downloading them forever so part of me is just like buy the goddamn disc and just you know get it but um... that's the other problem we run into as well like i i switched over to pc relatively early on uh just because it was more as it was a more convenient platform for me and i was using it for things other than gaming so it made sense yeah, yeah. um and in large part um pc gaming has already seen the near obliteration of physical copies because yeah. you'll buy a box cut version of a game and it'll just have a steam code in it yeah yep. and even then um, even then if you've got like all of the physical data for the game that you want to play on this disc in this box that you've bought you need to put in a code that's a one-time yeah. use kind of deal in order yeah. to access any of it at all yeah yeah and at it's, least um... yeah go ahead it makes it makes me. I know there are alternatives, even on the digital. You know, mm. GOG has That's a very um, open thing. They yeah. like, you know, for any complaints that I have about CD Projekt Red as a, as a company, like I've got to say, GOG still is pretty cool. That you yeah. can just you just download the exe you just download the data, and you can. And it's yours. And you can do whatever yeah, you want. Yeah, you with can. It. You can let someone log into your account. There's not. There's not this policing of the platform. Exactly. And I do. I definitely. And I'm glad that GOG does well enough that they they can. They're yeah. sustaining it. Um, because. Mm yeah like just you can just buy the game and you got it like yeah. you know and i think that's so important um and i think that that's sort of the thing with like console exclusive games um and the fact that i'm glad that at least they still have a physical release because otherwise it's like sony would have complete control there's no way for someone it'd be very difficult for someone to like rip that and make it emulate it and make it available like that you know you're locked into those platforms i mean people the, the pirates find a way they always find a way it's just the question of god bless you know them. yeah god bless them i mean even now there's like yuzu for the switch you can play any switch game mostly on on these emulators and stuff but it, it is a question of it's like you know I, I don't know how many times we have to cite it but like the gabe newell thing where he from steam himself where he's like piracy is a service problem you know like this is the, the reason these things happen is because of the way that the platforms are organized and they don't have to be organized that way i think gog shows that there's a diff there's an alternative it's a shame that it, it's cool that they're able to have that enough market share to be competitive but i think we i mean steam is like a juggernaut itself there's no way it's going to displace steam so that it's kind of a shame that it has to kind of be on the side there. But there is, yeah, like you said, there is an alternative for how digital sales could go. Um, I just don't know if we, if it's going to take on. Um, in terms of talking about this, so in terms of talking, um, I, I guess, away from sort of how this affects, like, the audience and such, I guess one thing that I would like to talk about a little bit is... Um, um, what's the deal for indie developers? Yeah. Um, you know, like you know, obviously we can't really speak to anyone that's got a game on Game Pass. They're under so many NDAs about their mm -hmm. contracts. There's no way we can speak to them about it and get some, you know, deets on what that's like and the reality of it. But from everything that I have read and am aware of and speaking to other people, um. You know, the Microsoft pay you, you. It's a very lucrative deal, and yep. Epic has done a similar thing with these exclusivity deals. It's, there's an upfront payment, a very large payment, and if you're struggling and indeed just getting a guaranteed large sum of money, regardless of yep. sales, is pretty very enticing. But what sort of reframed that a little bit for me, like recently, was um, seeing on Twitter some people, some developers talking about what is the catch, as it were. Mm -hmm. And their thing was talking about how maybe the problem actually is like you get us upfront money, but long term you might get nothing. Like yeah. because you know if they're giving away for your, their game for free on the Game Pass, you're not getting any revenue, and you know, and no one's buying up copies of your game you know like and uh you know some they were i saw a developer talking about you know their game came out like five ten years ago 
they're still making money from it. People still buy new copies. They still mm-hmm. make money from it. You know, like that's this long term sustainability. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you're buying into the system where there's this upfront and then it's like right and now we we we've licensed and now we can just like your game is now part of our service. Mm then you don't have that like potentially or at least you don't have it the same degree i don't know if there is some like royalty scheme with sure. with their thing but like clearly i imagine it's for pennies like yeah. most subscription I think, streaming services i think something else that factors into it that's quite concerning to me as well is um creative ownership over over the games that a lot of these developers are making like there's always been that that sort of situation with like uh like developers having publishers and publishers um sort of owning the rights to the intellectual property and we've seen studios break out of that and retain their ip like with um uh io interactive who will no doubt come up later um but um very recently there was a story um it's not xbox game pass but it is uh a vision of what is to come certainly um with google stadia uh yeah. the developers mm. of um yeah 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 that's yeah, a good point yeah, journey yeah. To the, savage the developers planet. of journey to the savage planet had to come out and say that um despite there being like numerous uh stadia specific bugs in the game they had no means of getting in there and patching it because they did they, they just all been dropped yeah. um and that copy of the game exists on google servers and they have no access to it so now Google are having to put people on like skeleton crews to try and fix some of these games that the developers themselves cannot do anything about. And that's so fucking wild. This this is like the Metallica being dubbed over with it with different music <laughs> oh God, from their yeah. own concert uh, recently on Twitch, you know, where it's like, the, so the developers want to do this thing. The, the game is right there, but like they can't. They can't make the, the connection between them. Because Google like, no, this yeah. this version of it's ours now. Yeah, exactly. And people laugh at Stadia, but I you know, you look at game generations, look go back and look at the Vita. The Switch the the Vita did a lot of what the Switch does now. It just did it too early, mm. you know, and it and it pioneered some concepts. So the, the you know, the idea now is like Stadia's a meme or whatever, but I don't think you're, uh, game streaming is still the subscription services and then streaming directly from games from servers. That's not going away, I don't think. I mean, and Xbox I think the, are we're planning gonna, on yeah. um, implementing it on a mass scale through Game Pass, even, aren't Ex- they? Exactly. So the idea that this is like, oh, this is a theoretical threat, I'm like, I don't know if it's theoretical so much as just inevitable. No. We just don't know when it's going to happen. This but is just the early happen. warning signs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I think. Yeah, and I guess this is why, like, I, you know, always encourage people, like, when I, you know, champion services like GOG, and I guess, mm-hmm. like, talk about, like, you know, recently I started buying um, Blu-rays again. Like, mm-hmm. I, I I was part of these subscription services for ages and using Amazon Prime, and especially in, in, in lockdown, you know, like, just you're streaming everything. Um, and I did, but I realized it was like, I, I was thinking about a uh, green room, which I've brought up before, which being one of my all time, I've just, I had this realization. It's like, wow, that's one of my all time favorite movies, I think. And um, and then realized I don't own it. Like, mm-hmm. just think about it. That's like my old one of my all time favorite movies. And the fact that I don't have a copy, and if I want, you know, if it gets removed from a service, I no longer have access to yeah. it. And I got, I was like, fuck, I better buy it. So I've started, I've started buying these things again. And I think probably with games, I'm going to start doing it as well. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I've, because... I've been, I started doing it with a lot of different media, actually. Like, I've been doing it with films, I've been doing it with TV, mm-hmm. I've been doing it with music as well. I've just been... Yeah, I was going to say music, because that's I've the one I've most consistently done it. I've got a fucking huge hard drive, and I'm just filling it up with loads of legally acquired oh, I'm... property. <laughs> I'm um... a total hipster bitch. I've been, like, I've been buying vinyl for a Oh, yeah, yeah, same. Like... Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, like, I've got all my records under my desk here, actually. Yeah. Um, and we that's should, when, I, exchange, yeah, when I really should, like an we should, album. We should chat out collections at some point oh <laughs> i mean i've got a lot of game soundtracks in it it's proper yeah, nerdy yeah, shit but um i like make a point of like you know i, I like to have that, that physical stuff and like and, and think something like vinyl for instance is lovely because vinyl is like lasts like you know um cds don't necessarily dvds don't necessarily so like, even that media made just of has petrol a... so it's gonna be here forever <laughs> yeah <laughs> Because, yeah, St- Stadia, we're laughing at it, but they, we should be laughing with, a, with like, a tinge of fear because it's like, yeah, look how disastrous it is, but it, that's what's coming. Like, that's what Microsoft or Sony or someone is going to figure out how to make that viable. I mean, it might take a while because I think one of the big things that's stopping this is infrastructure and I, yeah. with the internet. And that's not changing anytime soon simply because there's no financial incentive to do so. So yeah. that one might be a while. It might be a while before we get there. And if but we I do get there, then gonna it's going to be Starlink or something. Yeah, and then Elon Musk will have a monopoly over everything. And I don't yeah. want that. Don't well, want well, what that. I was just going to say, though, is that I think what we're getting at is something really important, which is it's what happens when we treat private monopolies like public utilities you know so something like youtube is we experience it like a public utility we experience it like cultural Mm. this cultural thing that we all share but when something disappears off youtube there's no way of getting it back unless somebody has hoarded it or has the creator has personally hoarded it same thing happened with twitch when there were all these dmca strikes like people were like i just lost like 10 years of my content content on my channel and there are people there are communities like the data hoarder subreddit who they they know there's like um, the archive team which is like a group of people who are like yo this site is about to go down everybody go and archive it they did it for even like the insurrection stuff in the u.s they were like download these videos from parlay before they take them off but my point is like that even connects to things like look at what's happening in texas with the private energy grid you know with like people being stuck out in the cold because they yeah. they're not connected to like the public utility grid people i mean you who... look at you look at legal like court proceedings over um yeah. over freedom of speech on platforms like twitter um yeah. and despite them being private entities because of like just yeah. how universally it's yeah. required it, it's seen as this essential platform for a lot of people uh yeah. the law is just doesn't know how to deal with it doesn't yeah. know how to deal with it at all yeah i think i my hot take is yeah. you know how <laughs> so you know how hoovers are actually vacuum cleaners and hoover is the brand name but everyone called them hoovers for so long sure the it just doesn't yes. fucking matter anymore and like legally that it, it's meaningless and no one's gonna get sued for calling a calling a yeah, vacuum cleaner a hoover, a hoover. It should be like yeah. that it should be like that you know <laughs> google oh i'm gonna google that well if we're all saying we're gonna google it then it's just the baseline and we should nab that off of and we should own it is what you're saying we should we yeah. should own google is what you're Absolutely, saying 100 percent. yeah nationalize yeah, the, google nation, nation, nationalize <laughs> twitter and google yeah. please oh, well, what i was going to say even with the, with the Texas example is that that is a great example of people experiencing something as a public utility, but it's not, you know, like yeah. some people knew, I mean, people were aware that it's a private thing, but not everyone's hip on, you know, you're just signing up for things and you think, oh yeah, this is one of the options and I'm signing up for this, or it might be the only option, but you can see the consequences of what happens when 
that kind of mismanagement. I'm not, I'm not lauding. I'm not some kind of like, eh, everything run by government means it's good. But the point is, if there's no recourse to some idea of like, there is a public responsibility to make sure this thing works, then there yeah. is no responsibility to maintain it. Un un as long as it's profitable, they will. And when it's not, they will stop. And, and that's think, that's my fear. <laughs> I think if we, and especially with everything going on in Texas, the fact that we're seeing this happen with with public utilities that people depend on to like not exactly. die, then exactly. then of course it's going to start happening with with our with our media, with our culture, yeah, exactly, everything. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because as you said, even the internet itself, like although it is still this harrowing thing, where there are some communities that aren't going to have good internet access for these kinds of services that's not going to stop them from pushing in that direction it, what, what it probably means is that they're going to start pushing really crappy internet options in those areas when that starts becoming the only option you know it doesn't i don't think it's going to mean they're suddenly going to uplift all those people in rural areas to like because then every T3. everyone with modem access is going to just like be pu pushed over a barrel effectively yeah it, it's, yeah yeah it's... you would have to either pay for this or don't be connected to the internet which let's be fair like you said, yeah, it happens with our media, but the internet itself, like access to the internet, is also one of those utility. exactly one of those life like needing things. You that, can't for your job in the or, United yeah. Kingdom. You can't apply for universal credit without an internet connection. Exactly, exactly. It's fucking what? It, yeah, no, it's it's. Wait for the day when Xbox Game Pass offers a universal credit app on their <laughs> on their but store. But it's, <laughs> Astrid, it sounds like you're talking about broadband for communists. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> I love how before and after the election we saw that too. There's like you see the headlines that like broadband communism, and then it's like Boris Johnson proposes policy of accessing internet for all citizens. Like, wait, isn't wasn't mm -hmm. that broadband communism before? <laughs> it's almost as if the the capitalist old god uh, are trying to protect their best interests. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. But who could say? No, no, it's the children who are. Who can say? Who can say? <laughs> Um, so I guess like sort of tendentially related to the idea of subscription models and stuff, because this is this doesn't exist in a vacuum. We have other things going on right now, because the Epic Store, which you brought up, Siege, um, being this sort of thing, and there's not a subscription model by any means, but they are muscling in for this market share, and part of their their um, pitch to customers has been free games, um, just for yeah. anyone. Like you just get you just come in their store, and that is you know it's a blatant move to just get people to download, install the thing, and have it there, and then you're thinking, mm -hmm. well, I've already got it there. Admittedly, I will say I've had Epic Store mm -hmm. downloaded for like what two years now. I've I haven't bought a single game on it yeah. <laughs> at all. Yeah, same. And, and I so I do I do think about how hard they had to try to get me. Like that game that game I had to have the ten pound voucher for a start. They gave away that to me. I had to have that, and the game had to be exclusive. Um, and then you know I wanted to review it, and that was how they got me to buy one game on their platform after two years. But like, so I'm not sure how actually effective. It necessarily is, but I don't know if I'm an exception rather than but, the real. But I don't know. I almost think that might be, again, maybe it's anecdotal, but to me it seems like that is kind of what they're going for. It's a long-term, they're really looking oh, at for like sure, a 10-year yeah. strategy or something. As long as they can get people to have it on their desktop, you know, 
the attachment rate as long as they can be getting people in different ways i mean, this is still early days for epic I think. yeah because like because like you like i i every every single time i boot up my computer and like the epic game launcher is running in the background i get little pop-ups yeah. in the corner of my screen like oh this game's available for oh, free now i can't and start like, up in that bitch and it's only gonna it's only gonna be a matter of time before it's not this game's for free it's this game's on sale and yeah, exactly, you exactly. see and because you know like uh, uh, any like you you could and anyone can say as much as they want that advertising doesn't affect them but psychologically advertising affects everybody does. Yeah, because does. otherwise people wouldn't be getting paid like a grand a day to do it right yeah. um so it, it is gonna and people are gonna go oh i mean if it's like 50 percent off i might as well spend money and then that's immediately epic's got access to your to yeah. your income yeah exactly I think um so yeah yeah the free games is one thing epic story exclusivity is another thing that they've done a, a lot of where and it's usually temporary and I think this speaks to the the end goal and the long term they're playing they're not even getting stuff on their platform that's only on their platform it's like for 6 months you know and that's the, that's yeah. the important thing they they get an audience through that um and you know log and it's probably a good deal for indie developers you know in a lot of ways like that upfront as we yeah. mentioned um, but you have seen some issues and hiccups with this. Um, the Hitman uh, debacle, where um, there was... IO wanted anyone who bought Hitman 3 to have access to the content of the first two games of their rebooted trilogy. Um, Understandably. But, but, but due to the Epic Store exclusivity and people who owned the game in Steam, there was a long... It's been resolved now, I should say, but there was a long like few weeks of like people not being able to access any of that stuff. Um, it being locked away um despite what they'd said and it went through this long labored process of getting people access to it because yeah i imagine navigating all the rights issues about who owns what and stuff is probably a nightmare um but you do sort of see these things come up and again this comes back to ownership of like you know because in that instance what was sort of interesting to me was like io clearly were just like oh yeah it'll be cool we can just give away like the content for first two games that's like great for our customers you know um and then because of their dealings and stuff they, they probably had a point where it's like oh shit like oh we can't do it this way oh no and like you watch them like trying to figure out how they do it um and i find that i find that interesting like how, can how i also just say i i just want to this is my obligatory shout out to game workers unite but um their their little boss trading cards that they have are amazing where they have little the little trading cards of different bosses of yeah, game studios great. and and th th a key thing that i feel like i've i've learned over the last several years uh reading and like you know about different different things is that anytime there's a situation of any kind of lack or something free in this case there's like a previous thing that made it possible for it to be that way. So Epic Games, I'm just looking at the 2019 trading card for Mr. Sweeney. Uh, <laughs> oh, his net that, worth. Is his the net, text coming off of that card? <laughs> yeah, his net worth is $7 billion. Jesus um, the, the average Epic employee salary is 86000 but the average Epic QA tester income is 29000 So my, my point here That's is dollars, that it's not, I'm assuming. it's not just, yeah, yeah. It's not just rich man bad, which sure. But what I'm saying is, you know, any kind of pyramid scheme, which is like 99.9% .9 of all companies in the world, they, it only works by funneling money towards the top, you know, and extracting labor and funneling money towards the top. So the only way that Epic is able to have this giant surplus, like Microsoft freaking hiding money in Puerto Rico, which is a, a hilarious case that we talked about on another show. God, we can yeah. definitely link here. That like, it's only possible for these 
giant monopolies to present themselves as benevolent services, giving away free things after already having exploited their workers and created a situation in which there is this, there, you know, someone like Sweeney and his company have massive amounts of money sitting around because if it was redistributed more fairly, it would just look a lot different. You know, it would, maybe this question we're having about giving indie games money up front would be a lot different if it wasn't about a bunch of companies competing for this like small pie piece of the pie it's like and a bigger pie for everyone i mean i know it sounds end. cliche it's like, but... oh shit look at all this money that we've hoarded by not yeah. paying our workers properly what are we gonna yeah. do with it let's spend it on making more money <laughs> yeah or i mean you know you could look at amazon like funding schools you know for like career programs that funnel people into amazon God, or, I saw you know that. funding legislation or whatever it is you know it's my, my point is just it's a good deal in the moment and we shouldn't be have any illusions about that but at the same time we should also not have any illusions that the intentions of these companies are because they like us or because they're they're nice and we it's, should be i think just... we should be continually aware of the fact that yeah. the reason that these deals are so good is because the companies making this money know yeah. that people in the current especially like after multiple economic crises yeah, exactly. um, are desperate to like get a good deal because yeah. that's how you survive. Yeah, and but I would really I would insidious. even venture to say, and and there's, there's no time for this in this episode, but even a non badly behaved company that supposedly pays its workers properly, there's no form of a pyramid scheme under capitalism in which the the uh, the CEOs are not or anyone is not extracting wealth from the people uh, at the bottom and the middle rungs. So even if everyone's being paid supposedly what they're supposed to be paid, your your well your extra your your surplus labor is always being extracted. So I'm just saying, folks. Yeah, it, it's all bad. It's I did all a, bad. I did a conversion right. Twenty nine thousand dollars is about twenty one k. Yeah. Pounds. And um, we don't have to pay for insurance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, that's, don't that's... worry. Epic employees are referred to as buddies. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and um, I mean, I think like I think um, I, I think they're not making enough money to be legally considered <laughs> yeah. employees. <laughs> <laughs> the um, I think like one thing that off the back of that I want to talk about is that in terms of games and how they present themselves, and we we we've talked about this a lot. Like I think this comes up a lot. Um, we talk about this in terms of how people perceive the Nintendo or um stuff, yeah. and this idea of like companies being your friends, and you see it with us, like, yeah, you poise our buddies. And we saw it recently specifically with Epic. I don't know if any of you yeah. saw this fucking embarrassment, which was Epic sending out um these little um gifts to um certain people. I saw um it was Greg Miller games over greggy who shared this thing which was like um about Fortnite, which was about it was them epic making this pitch for like save the internet by siding with us in our legal case battle against valve um this is this is the this is oh yeah they're know, implicating we're on your side now as well aren't they i didn't see that yeah it's so just they had, a bunch they this it's thing. just a bunch of rich cunts trying to get money off of the other rich cunts that's exactly. all this is and exactly. people, people, people are like, there are so many people at like, you, Epic have got the most tremendous PR department in the fucking world because so yeah. many people are simping over this company. Yeah. And it's funny too, because they originally were seen as like the bad guy, but I think they're, they're, they've been slowly trying to redeem themselves, especially with, I mean, in, through the free games and stuff, it's, it's hard for people to say, well, like they're giving us free games. I mean, Steam's not doing that as much. Like, come on, they've got to, they've got to have our interests at heart. 
Like, really? Do they? Here, here we go. I've got, I've got the image. They, they sent a gift to um, Game Over Greggy, which was this like package with um, some clothing and stuff. And the, the slogan is "Free Fortnite." And they've got this little logo, and you get this now. little jacket with a free Fortnite. And so they're 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 pitching this, and they did the ad. They did the big ad that was a play on um, nineteen eighty four. The end, the the, the Apple ad. And again, and that go that, there you go. That goes back to Apple doing it, and it goes back to this idea of companies trying to present themselves as victims, and you know, like the oppressed, and they try to cultivate this this idea and i guess what i'm getting at is just for our listeners it's just like don't ever like don't just don't like if a company is doing you a good deal it's fine to take advantage of that you as an individual you know what do what you've got to do but like just don't ever fall into that trap of thinking that companies are your friends and we saw this with cd project red where for like a long time people were like oh they did a good deal like all that free dlc for the witcher these really good for value expansions like they, they care about their consumers and then then what did they do they lied to their audience for months about the state of cyber uh, cyberpunk 2077 yeah. and 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 continue to lie after lunch as well um and i think so, i think something else that definitely comes into this that um i think it's important to highlight and to keep in mind going forward is um lots of people were sort of crit that I've, I've seen a fair, like loads of there are loads of die hard sort of like like hyper fans out there of epic going yeah epic's fucking up apple and fucking up steam yeah come on but then there are i i think probably more people who are who are sort of critically supportive of epic for sort of making these legal challenges and trying to shake things up a little bit but we do need to remember the fact that the reason epic having a big stinker with apple is because they weren't making as much money off of their exploitative business models in a video game marketed yeah. towards children. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is something that before all of this happened, all of the gamers on the internet were also angry about. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I think. And don't forget about think, that. that. That's you the know? interesting thing is how quickly it can pivot where like you have this thing and you saw it with cyberpunk right because the pre-release was all these the audience furious that anyone would criticize cd project red and then Mm. when the game comes out turned out to be an absolute stinker immediately flipping and Mm. i think cg say this a lot which is just it's to not forget that like when you pressure a company to actually change and react don't forget that don't think that you have to settle like it constantly works you constantly see these specific cases these you know these edge cases will work so it's like the prob- the point is to like take that and make it that consistent to consistently yeah. push and press back against these companies and and, and when, not yeah. just and take when for these granted. companies when these companies make these big changes um uh, that ultimately end up benefiting the consumer um don't let them claim that it was their idea don't let them yeah. don't let them <laughs> like be like oh yeah look we're doing it because we care about you they're doing it because so many people were fighting for it to happen and... Well, it's also it, it's interesting because you think about things like Itchio. You know, Itchio exists and is an amazing platform, and like GOG might represent sort of an alternative, somewhat for how games could be offered to people. But again, the problem is there's a it's still it's still a niche, right? It's still seen as like this is this is one place. It's really great for average people to be able to just upload their games. I even uploaded a game there, but I'm not going to tell you where it is because I'm, I'm it's in, not in a final state, and I'm embarrassed by it. Aww. But um. But my point is, like, it would be great to see, you know, rather than thinking, okay, deal with Microsoft is good because you get this money up front and there's pros and cons. It's like, if we take a step back and we think about that, okay, how would it be, how could you make it less about 
uh, as we discussed in our, again in our Star Wars episode, less about fewer people competing for a smaller pool of resources and more about making a bigger pool of resources so people. that more people can can develop stuff because and then, then then rather than being like oh look at these specific cases of like Ori and the Will of the Wisps being really successful because Microsoft supported it like what I don't want a situation where the way that you succeed in the games industry is because like you have the light of Kefka FF6 shout out uh, shining on you in a particular moment you know you, you don't you shouldn't want like the light yeah. of the sovereign to be the reason why like ah they, they picked someone out from the crowd and they said this is okay obviously i'm being dramatic here but like but what no, we I mean, want is we want more well, yeah we want more yeah, right. resources for everyone and that requires you know again this is self-education as much as anything but i think it requires some form of more uh less strings attached better ways of funding independent developers across the board rather than simply pitting companies against each other and saying which one of these companies is yeah. going to like help us survive because you because know. otherwise like you said it just turns into an edgier pixelated version of the american dream yeah exactly. <laughs> Ooh, oh that hit me right here <laughs> but yeah it's the case of not don't, don't sell for like yeah like just none of these corporations are your friends like none of them don't yeah. one may be offering you a better deal at one point in time and hey take it the, the world sucks you take what you can get but like yeah <laughs> just don't ever fall into that trap of thinking that you're picking sides or anything. they're all they're all out to exploit you all of them like, yeah. there's no exceptions so like just always be advocating for people at the bottom yeah. So what you're saying is, in our cyberpunk 2077 future, we need to form a faction which is which is raiding on the corpos. And sorry, no, 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 we're not saying that. Don't don't raid a corporation, okay? But just in the in Minecraft or in 2077, I'm just saying we might raid need a corporation people like, in a video game, like the 20, like the the data hoarders. Like I actually think those people play a really important role, and not just in historical preservation, but because they they are doing. The work they're they're showing that like we can't rely on the companies to preserve stuff as for themselves. A, as a final you know? point before we do wrap up this episode, because one thing I want to talk about you mentioned in preservation there, um, we talked about like sort of what the future might look like with that. But but we've already started to see that with stuff. Um, I don't know if you remember, but Alan Wake had to be taken down and then re-uploaded because the the rights for I think it was for um a David Bowie song in the game. Um, oh, wow. expired, maybe in other, some other songs as well, but it expired, so they had to re-upload a version of the game without it. And it's sort of interesting, because that doesn't happen with film, right? Like, if you, right. if you, the, the well, films have these licenses where it's like, yeah, once, if it's in the movie, it's in the movie for, you know, but that's not the case for games. And games Sweet. seem to have this thing, you, this, this happens frequently, actually, with games losing um, the license to music, and then they've got to, like, go and patch it and stuff. And yeah, like if I'm sure that definitely like people have, I actually have a copy of Alan Wake that is the older one. Um, Ooh, a rare commodity. Um, and it's like if you, but if you lose that, it's gone. Like you know, you don't, you know. Mm. And, and so we've we're already seeing this thing where like the the versions of games. Obviously, we've talked before. We talked about this in our last episode about multiplayer games that service games have this issue. Mm. Um, yeah, it's something that um the Alps Alps talked about, which is um the the loss of um the loss of games as they exist in their current forms now um because well, especially yeah because of the patches day one day two yeah day we'll, 50 we'll releases lose entire states of games and like um and stuff like wow classic is just a plaster on a on a big yeah it's, it's like a timestamp it's yeah. not even really what the original absolutely yeah. like i had to i had to download a mod to get the original soundtrack for crazy taxi and my crazy taxi copy it's absurd 
<laughs> don't have to, I don't want to have to bother go I mean I, I'll do it anyway but I don't want to have to I don't want to have to bother going through yeah. that effort to to get the original experience yeah exactly because the, the original because that's that's how the game like that's how games like that became sort of the the cultural touchstones that exactly, they are because exactly. of the very specific experience that they offered. Crazy Taxi is not the same game without the offspring blasting <laughs> in your ears while you're driving about was, up on um, hills and stuff. I mean, to spec to make a specific example, because one that was very close to my heart is Halo, um, the original Halo, yeah. which the only way to play the original version of that game is to have an original Xbox and a copy of Halo. They, they've re-released it. It was ported to PC. They've re-released it with the Halo, the Master Chief Collection. But each one of those re those ports and remasters and re-releases actually has changed a lot of significant things about the game. Some of it's small, but matters to me. You know, like, um, just little things like when they do the chapter titles, you would have the little black bars would come in and you would get that. Those have been removed in a lot of the ports and stuff. You just get the text comes up. Mm. And that's small, right? I know that's small, but in terms of the feel and vibe, you know these things all add up where you see uh, they now added in loading screens and oh they changed the credits and all these things where mm. all these things that for me were part of the, the feel and, and look of that game and the whole package are now have now been taken away or reduced and in the Master Chief Collection that thing's been butchered where they've they've put in these ugly loading screens and like it, it feels like a game that's been broken down into its like smallest parts and then yeah, just it's like, like CGI-ing so Jabba the Hutt in the first Star Wars <laughs> movie or something yeah never or Greedo <laughs> so it's like when you so when you, i guess i guess it's it's sad you know to think like because the only way like when i talk about halo one and why i love it, it the, all these small details are part of the package and it's like mm. but if i want someone to experience that the i have to be like hey you need to have an xbox and a copy of it well theory there's backwards compatibility with 360 but the point is you have to own this hardware and you have to own a copy of the original game there's no ease because no, no none of the companies none of the people involved are interested in preserving that original well, it's, and it's even important in terms of controversial games like 2077, because I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but the, there's the hilarious series. I, I don't know if it's on GameSpot or what channel, but they're they're playing through 2077 on an unpatched uh, offline <laughs> Xbox One. So it's the 1.0 version of 2077, Cyberpunk 2077. And that's really important to be able to know what that was like. You know, I had a friend who yeah. was telling me, oh, they watched our review and other things. And they were like, is it really that bad? Like, I haven't had that many glitches. Like, are people just exaggerating? And like, just go and watch this video because you need to see like we people need to be aware and unable to access the fact that this was the game's stat status on release you know and look i mean that's obviously recent so that's being preserved and but that's, that's an example of, of... that's and there's yeah, a whole no, other absolutely. discussion there's a whole other discussion we can have about the requirement for certain kinds of hardware for some of these experiences right mm -hmm. because we live in a world uh entirely built on artificial scarcity and uh, and yeah. artificial sort of like lifespans and products like my xbox 360 i've had it for like what 10 years now um and it's it's dying she's yeah. she's she's on her last legs she's croaking. i'm surprised it didn't die sooner to be like, honest she's hobbling it. around <laughs> a little bit like she's screech the fans are screeching every time i turn it on <laughs> uh, one day that xbox is going to be dead and one exactly, day yeah. all xbox 360s upon this earth are going to be just completely dysfunctional they're not going to operate whatsoever wow. and then that's a shower you, thought <laughs> you complete you you lose in entirety access to all of the games in their yeah. at least in their original forms yeah. and all of the games that never made it off of the xbox 360 they're just gone yeah. because because we live because we live in that kind of world and i think um, i think that's sad with with 
with games particularly because i think of like other mediums like music and films they don't have this problem at, to the same degree at all because one there's a big preservation movement within those mediums um, and yeah. there's definitely examples where it's very difficult to get a hold of original yeah. stuff like star wars we've, we've talked about um but then nonetheless it's, it's much more feasible to you know if you've got a movie from the 1950s you you got that movie and uh, people talk about small differences between version releases like sure. um color grading and stuff so it's not like it's immune to that but with games it's really pervasive and games have had a shorter lifespan than film but trying to get yeah. games, sometimes even games from five years ago, very hard. Yeah. And, you know, you're not, the, the, the time scales of these things are very short in terms of how quick things become obsolete or outdated or locked off. Um, and all of it is very artificial, you know. Like, the reason you can't play 360 games isn't because, you know, we've we've lost the, the, the know-how of how to do it. It's because it's all tied up in licensing and rights and stuff. And yeah. who's, who can, you know, because Microsoft could just you know just lift it and people would manufacture hardware that would you know emulate it no problem like yeah. i love I, I love the idea i don't know if it would ever really happen but i would love as, as a thing to think about for the future i would love for a legal obligation for there to be for for companies to have to not only like for copyright to expire but to like hand over they're, they're never going to do this folks this is why i'm, I'm this is hey never say never but after the, the revolution siege we'll yeah, exactly. new rules. Well, 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 for a, a legal responsibility to after like a certain amount of time or something to hand over sort of like the, the source code or the the, the code to but their archive this guy over here yeah <laughs> to, to, to to hand over the source code to their products to their games so that they can be they preserve. There are some companies who they make their games open source anyway. But how amazing would it be, even if culturally some companies set the precedent or some to studios by saying, you know what, like uh, id id studios used to do that. They would they would actually release like Quake and like all these games, and they would just say, here, here you go. This is how we made the game. It didn't it didn't lead to id studios imploding or anything. No. If anything, it, it encouraged a modding scene that was super vibrant, and it encouraged I mean, it to be ported to all going. these platforms. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, and I then would you love get to see. You also get interesting situations like with uh, like with uh, like LucasArts games mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Double Fine, and then like like having to keep these big sort of filing cabinet records of yeah. all of the old artwork for like yeah. Maniac Mansion Two and stuff like that. Um, and like the only reason we have remakes of of Day of the Tentacle and all of these old classic LucasArts adventure games. Is because somebody kept them in a folder somewhere. Yeah. Um, they didn't and, do the Squaresoft uh, thing where they. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's, but there's no legal. Ob there's no. There's no. Yeah. There's no means of enforcing that. Like the, yeah. the only way that's happened is because some people who have control over that sort of stuff yeah. have made a decision to preserve these things. I would love to see some kind of goodwill campaign, you know, like from like one of these preservation, like VHF or Video Game History Foundation or one of these places to say, all right, we're going to challenge some companies to to like put your money where your mouth is. You care about your customers and your consumers. Let's see the Halo. Come on, put Halo out there for folks in the original form. Put this in the original form. You know, why not put them, make them put their money where their mouth is? Because if you could show that it doesn't harm anyone and in fact makes it better for everyone, then maybe you could get like build a cultural expectation that this is how things should be done. You know, because right now they're not. And I don't you know, know about y'all, but um, regardless of whether companies pick up the slack on this, I'm going to be doing my part to preserve video to, games. To preserve games, exactly. That's just my hint, folks. Glasses games <laughs> yeah, are don't officially encouraging the taking to the high seas. Um, but if you have thoughts... Um, 
on on any of the stuff you have thoughts about pairs or new examples that you'd like to share with us we'd love to hear it um send um, your thoughts into communityglasshouse.games obviously comment or a tweet as um and please like and subscribe and, and share content if you enjoy it. It means, it means a lot to us. It helps us a lot. And if you really enjoy our content, please consider um, joining our Patreon. We've got a lot of exclusive stuff on there. Um, and you get a lot of stuff early. Persuasion check, you get a month too early before our, your next one. Um, and I also... slave over those things. So please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh... <laughs> I, we're very proud of our Persuasion check. I think it's like one of our best shows. So like you, you can get that early. Um, we also do exclusive streams for our Patreons. And... We've got more stuff brewing. Um, um, and I know on that note, thank you so much to um, people that have supported us already and continue to join and support us. Um, we love you. We appreciate what you do. And you, you keep Glasshouse going and uh, it means a lot. So thank you um, for, for having that confidence in us. Um, and uh, I'd also like to thank my panelists today, Siege and Astrid. Thank you for joining me for this lovely little discussion. Thank you for your patience. It's a pleasure as always. Builders. <laughs> um also um thanks to kit um for always keeping things going and thanks to dancy parks for the music i'm samantha and we'll talk again soon <laughs>